Okay, hello everybody, Dr. Rick Wallace here dropping in on you. Once again, I want to thank everybody for stopping by. I brought on a guest who also happens to be a client of mine to talk about something that's very important to her and should be very important to every last one of us. Uh, before we get started and before I introduce her, I want to remind you, hit that like button, hit that like button, hit that share button. And let's get this channel back to where it was before they took it down. Let's, let, let's make that happen. Hit the like button, hit the share button, and don't forget to show your love and your support for the work that we do in the community uh, consistently. With that being said, I want to introduce you to Hope Ransom. Uh, I've had the pleasure of working with Hope uh, on some personal uh, goals and achievements, and she brought something to my attention that I thought was worthy of bringing before you guys. Uh, I'm going to introduce her and then we'll talk about it, give you some insight on it. And I want her to kind of tell the story, so I'm not going to speak on it until after she introduces it. But basically, she has a daughter that she's trying to look out for. That's a part of the system. And I'll let her tell you as much as she wants to share. Uh, and then we'll talk about it from there. But it has to do with the uh, current situation with COVID-19 and how uh, the uh inmates and and, and uh, are being treated and what was once being promised and it, it's kind of following the uh black burner but anyway uh hope go ahead introduce yourself to everyone let them know who you are and, and we'll kind of get into this thing okay thanks dr wallace my name is hope ransom uh, i have a daughter that's currently an inmate at the uh, Lane Murray unit in Gatesville, Texas. And of course, I'm in contact with her um, when, when they can be in contact. Because of the COVID-19 thing that's going on, um, they're currently on like lockdown. Their unit has, I believe it's the highest number of cases. Uh, as far as I know, they have the highest number of COVID-19 positive uh, inmates, uh, along with the officers. And I know in my county, but even possibly, um, they're, ranking, they're ranking up in the uh, higher numbers, you know, number one, number two in Texas, um, I believe. And I wanted to kind of discuss that. Okay. Before we get off into that, there is one thing that I think that uh, we need to just shed a little bit of light on so people are uh, aware of, you know, where, who you are, where you stand, because, you know, some people might go find your, uh, after this, might go seek you out on social media. And what they'll find is that you have been very outspoken uh, when it comes to your belief or your trust in what we're being fed through the media concerning COVID-19. And so it may uh, lead some to have questions as to if you don't really feel it's that big of a deal or what, you know, uh, I hate to use that form, but if you don't believe that the numbers are valid, mm -hmm. what is the major concern about your daughter? And I think it's important that you address that because I think that it, first and foremost, I can say this, living conditions in the free world is a huge 
and distinct difference between how inmates live in proximity to one another on a regular basis and the, the level of health care they receive. And so I think that needs to be understood. It also needs to be understood that we are talking about a nonviolent offender. Uh, and we're talking about it because Texas had said uh, that it would consider releasing nonviolent offenders to reduce the chance of them contracting uh, the virus. That right. never took place uh, while requests were made. There has been no movement on it. And we're looking for uh, some answers. We're looking for some mobility and action on that level. Uh, if it's, you know, we're not, this is not about giving anybody a pass, but this is about compassion. This is about understanding how our loved ones are treated within the system. And it's about looking out for those we care about. And I think before we jump on our high horses, that's one of the things that we need to understand. It's, this is not about giving anybody a pass, but it's about saying what they did shouldn't result or uh, equate to a form of a death sentence. Exactly. And so kind of talk about just briefly, you know, so they understand that, you know, where you come from as an individual and where you're sitting as a mother with a daughter who is uh, caught up in this situation, uh, exactly. uh, being incarcerated. Okay. okay. Well, just coming from the standpoint of being a human being, I do a lot of research. It's my job for myself and for my children, I have children here at home, to know exactly, or to the best of my knowledge, what's going on concerning any outbreaks or whatever. From what I have looked up, it looks like these numbers are greatly exaggerated for whatever reason. Um, I, I've done research when it comes to viruses, how viruses are spread and all of that. Um, I've gone to the CDC uh, webpage and how it's reported and all of that. So as far as this whole thing and the, um, the number of deaths, I do believe that it has been exaggerated. I believe that there is an agenda, but whatever that agenda is, I don't know, I can't call it, okay? What I do know for sure or what I do believe for sure, just based on some of the people that I've talked to, is that people with underlying diseases or underlying uh, issues, medical issues, that they are at a far greater risk at contracting whatever this is that's going on. They're at a far greater risk. risk so they, they need to be more careful and um, they just need special provisions. That's been proven. That has been proven. My daughter, she has um, asthma. She's had asthma all her life. And it's not mild asthma. It's critical. My daughter actually stopped breathing. Um, I, I don't know. I can't say she wasn't medically um, counted as being dead, but on my living room floor some years ago, she stopped breathing and was without breath in her body for some minutes before the ambulance came in. So this is how serious 
her asthma is. In the system, in the prison system, these uh, prisoners are, you know, there is no social distancing. There is no fresh air to be breathed. They are, my, my daughter's current situation, she's locked inside the cell with other inmates, of course. And I don't know if people know, but that's not the most hygienic place to be. Um, the healthcare is not what it is outside of prison. So at any time, if she has an asthma attack or if she comes down with COVID or whatever, she's at the mercy of the officers or whoever if if they feel that you know they need to take it serious or whatever and when it comes to loss of breath there is no time for contemplating anything so um i spoke with her a few days ago they are locked in they don't even get a chance to come out of the cell at this point not even to eat they are served sandwiches every day all day. These sandwiches are actually brought in from another um, from another unit uh, because the uh, whatever this illness is is just running rampant inside their particular unit, which is the Lane Murray unit in Gatesville, Texas. I believe uh, in Copper's Cove, um, not Copper's Cove. That's the city I'm in, but in uh, Coriel County which is the county of Copper's Cove. In Coryell County, I believe the last I checked was right around 100 cases in the entire county. Uh, that may not be the exact number, but it's somewhere right around there where uh, half or over half of those, somewhere in that area, guys, um, is all from this one unit. This one unit has uh, all of these people that have come up positive for the uh, COVID-19. So this is, of course, this is of great concern to me. Like I said, with my daughter having this serious uh, asthma, asthma uh, disease, she is at very high risk right now. And like I said, with her being a nonviolent offender, I don't want... And I don't even think that it's right that her time may be changed from, you know, a regular sentence to a death sentence. Right. And I think that it's important for those who aren't familiar uh, with Texas prisons and, and, and a lot of prisons uh, around the nation, but Texas prisons, uh, what you have to understand is the vast majority of units that are state-owned because there are some private prisons there are a lot of private prisons uh in texas but for units that are state-owned the vast majority of them don't have air conditioning they are not air conditioned units so there's no filtrated air systems uh the conditions during the summertime are virtually unbearable um and while a lot of times the media tends to give the uh idea that prisoners are serving time in their own individual cells that is a rarity in today's mass incarceration uh culture where most prisons are dormitory 
uh, dormitory style, meaning that you have anywhere from 30 to 50 people in each block and they're sleeping on bunks and right next to each other. Literally, you can reach over and touch your neighbor uh, on the next bunk over and you have someone on top of you. And so you have, you're sharing your space with 20, 30, 40, 50 people, depending on the size of the dorm. Um, so if something kicks off in that dorm, it, you got 30, 40, 50 people that can be directly impacted by it because of the simple fact there can be no spacing. The other element that she makes a point in revealing is that if you're talking about someone who needs to get their medication, okay, that's good. You got, you're talking about people who have uh, mental health issues that need their mental health medications, they get that. You talk about people who have diabetes or high blood pressure, they get their meds. Systematically, you get your meds, that's no problem. But if you have any type of critical issue, you are in trouble. Yes. Uh, yeah. It, it, it's just that simple. If something life-threatening goes on, it you are your risk of not making it is exponentially Increased. higher than yeah. if you were in the free world. It's just yes. that simple. So you don't want a loved one in that condition. And exactly. the way that we are approaching this is, if we're talking about someone who uh, is a nonviolent offender, meaning that they're not going to come out and be an immediate threat to society, to society. I think that there's a way to go before the uh, parole board and request clemency, which mm -hmm. is saying that we're asking that they be released early and that there is literally scientific data that, su that supports it. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, we're not asking for a pass. I mean, they're going to come home and still be required to report and sustain a certain type or standard of behavior and follow certain rules and regulations um, that, that, that will govern how they are until they have served out the completion of their sentence. That's on regular parole, and it would be no difference. The thing is, we're saying is, if they don't pose a threat to society, and they can uh, be deemed capable of integrating into society. I think that that has to be considered. I don't think that we're talking about somebody that's in on a drug rate related offense, for instance. Uh, I didn't ask Hope what her daughter was on. She told me it was a nonviolent offense and I left it at that. But when I think of nonviolent offenders, I think of theft primarily and drug offenses, drug related offenses, possession, uh, and you got to think a lot of times the way that our people are handled when it comes to drugs specifically is completely different than the way white people are handled when they are struggling with an addiction and they do things. And I think that we have to consider that as well. We have to, they have to consider that as well. So my, my thing is I wanted to bring this to uh, the attention of the public. I wanted to get it out. I wanted to share it. I wanted to give Hope an opportunity to share what's going on. What we need to do is get on the phone with our state representatives, get on the phone, start sending messages to the governor, get on the phone, uh, send emails to the uh, Texas Parole, the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles, uh, Parole, and start talking about the safety of nonviolent offenders. And mm -hmm. Texas has a very hardcore approach 
against offenders, period. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter whether you are a violent or nonviolent offender, that they have a very hardcore approach. Um, and so you also have to understand that there's a lot of money involved in this. And we have to be honest about that. Right. So, if I can say something, when it comes to what my daughter is in for, my daughter is in for a drug-related offense. But when it comes to drugs, unless there was a, you know, gun involved or if there was, you know, um, something going on that made it, um, what do you call it, aggravated or something like an that. An aggravated there offense, are right. lots of people that are in, of course, for drug-related offenses or whatever. And as we know, Black people, they are held to a greater standard. Their punishment is much higher, uh, much more severe. You know, she has, I believe it was a possession charge. You know, this has nothing, you know, to do with any violence that she herself, you know, was involved with or whatever. So it was a drug-related charge. But like I said, it was not uh, any violence, um, no, no evading arrest, uh, or anything like that. So for a charge that is drug-related, something as simple as that, to turn into a death sentence, this is what, you know, my concern is. And like I said, in the Black community, it's not that white people don't, or Caucasian, however you want to uh, classify them, it's not that they don't have these same charges. It's not that um, they don't go in and, and face the judge. And, and you know get time for these things but it is known that caucasians don't get the time that black people get you know but we're not really here to uh speak on that i just wanted to clear that up because we did not speak about what my daughter was in for right um, we did just kind of leave it at a non-violent offense now if it's okay i'd like to back up a little bit and say when it comes to COVID 19 what my feelings are about the actual disease or uh, virus or whatever it is, my feelings through all the research that I've done, because I'm continually researching, it's me. I have a father who has uh, underlying conditions that I take care of. I also have younger children. So it's my responsibility to stay up on, one, what's being said, what's being put out to, but for me to dig deeper so that I know exactly what other doctors, what other virologists, virologists uh, are people who specialize in this virus or in cells and um, how things are spread. I go deep into this. So from even coming from a black stance or one that is heavily melanated, it is known that we need vitamin D. We need these things in order to, for our bodies to function the way that they're supposed to function. It's known that most black people have a deficiency in vitamin D. And if we're locked inside of the house, we can't even get the sun that gives us this vitamin D. If we're locked inside, like we said, the prisons, they are a whole different uh, entity. They don't have the access to outside. So they're further, especially being on lockdown, they're further put in the position of being um, kept away or you know, not able to get the vitamin D. So you know, 
our vitamins, uh, minerals uh, is so important, you know, to our basic health. And when it comes to this, one of the other things is the uh, inability for our bodies to uptake the uh, oxygen, in which this is the part where, you know, she has her, her issues with, with her lungs. So all of this creates a more severe, a more severe uh, situation for her. I personally believe that we need to get into the open so that we can breathe fresh air so that we can come face to face with the sun. I believe that, uh, and it's not just my belief, it's what the statistics are showing that we need to be able to exercise. When you're stuck in a cell, what, eight by eight? I don't know. I don't even know if it's eight by eight. Four by, it's very, very small. Where you don't have um, adequate room for exercising, breathing fresh air. The air that you're breathing is recirculated, like Dr. Wallace was saying, between the other inmates in there. So that's why it's running so rampant inside the facilities. And this is this very concerning. I do believe, you guys, that we have a responsibility to ourselves to um, take care of ourselves and know what's going on and be proactive in keeping ourselves healthy. And how can we do that? And how can these inmates do that when they're locked inside, only just waiting, waiting to be the next one? to die right and so there's so much to what was said and again i am a staunch advocate of a person being responsible for knowing uh what they're dealing with and being aware uh so that you can readily readily and adequately filter and interpret what you're being fed to know whether or not you can trust it or not i think that that is important. And I will simply close on this because I have to get, get off and get ready uh, for an appointment. But uh, I did want to allow for this time to kind of bring this uh, to the attention in the forefront of what's really going on and why there's very little conversation about this. Again, this is not about giving people who have uh, done something wrong a pass. This is about saying that first and foremost, we have to acknowledge that someone who uh, is struggling with a drug, a drug issue or drug addiction or whatever it is, it, it, that's black is treated differently in the system than someone who's struggling with it that's white. And the time that is given out is tremendously different. And more importantly, there aren't programs that actually help to uh, on an intervention level so that we don't have a higher recidivism rate. In other words, if the time spent inside was more directed towards addressing the issues that led or pushed them towards the addiction in the first place, we wouldn't keep revisiting it. And so there are a lot of different things that have to be addressed on that. But at the same time, if someone dis didn't harm anyone in the commission of their crime, meaning they are a nonviolent offender, and there aren't any issues on their record while being incarcerated that says they will have a problem integrating back into society, and especially those 
like uh, uh, Hope's daughter, Faith. That's her name, by the way. Uh, especially someone who has asthma, severe asthma, and makes them susceptible and has meaning that they're compromised in a way that they are literally much more vulnerable to COVID. I think that it is incumbent upon us to make the state honor what they said they were going to do in the first place, which was simply take those who were nonviolent offenders who would probably be coming up for parole within a year or two anyway. Yes. And just saying, okay, we're going to go ahead and let you go. They're not being completely released. Anybody that's ever been on parole know you're still not free. That's right. But they're just being supervised from outside of a penal institution that is not equipped to handle any type of emergency. Like I say, passing out medication and things of that nature, that's good. They can do that. They'll, dis they'll uh, distribute meds. But if you get sick to where your life is dependent on the service you get, you're in trouble. Yes. And so we need to avoid that. And we need to care about our loved ones enough to make noise if we have someone that's in there because they don't look at them as human beings. I'm sorry. That's right. That's right. I, I here have uh, a letter that I just received back yesterday from the uh, board, board of uh, Pardons and Parole, where I uh, petitioned them to uh, give her an early release. And that's even if she had to go back, I just want this COVID-19 thing to be able to go over. And even if she had to go back and finish the time, this is not me trying to get her out of her time. She's responsible for what she's responsible for. But I got this letter back and basically it's denying and saying that uh, it's been it's been denied because she's been seen as um, being able or she has over six months to live. It's not a, a disease or something that she'll be dead in six months. As far as her asthma, her asthma will allow her to live for over six months. So under those under under that, you know, she does not uh, qualify to get out early even though you know what's going on in her unit is is really bad or whatever but i have been trying to go through the processes of you know um, putting her case out there and let it be known and these are the uh responses uh that i am getting back just to just to let you know that okay thanks for sharing that okay everybody uh anybody that has any input anybody that may have have some legal insight or political insight into the best approach of dealing with this you can uh email me at the usual space ceo at rickwallacephd.link and i will take it and i will pass it on uh to hope and if you, uh, if necessary, I will connect the two of you. Uh, but like I said, Hope is an actual client, an actual paying client. And she just happened to mention this while we were talking. And, and I decided to give her the platform to share that because nobody knows what our parents and mothers. And I want to share this. I really do have to go, but I think it's important. Hope is a representation of the Black reality for years in that she has adopted and is rearing her daughter's children. That has happened so many, I'm, I'm a product of that. 
I was reared, adopted and reared by my mom's mom's parents. And we have to look at what that means for us on the long term. And we have to look at the psychological impact of that. And we have to understand that in the midst of all of this are those babies. And so it's a lot to think about. But when we were talking, I, I, I just thought that I would give her that platform. I want to thank you, Hope, for coming on. I want to thank everybody that's going to see this. Uh, and let's be active about looking out for ourselves and our and those who matter to us because no one else is going to do it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Wallace, so much for giving me this time on your platform. I appreciate you so much. I really, really do. Thank you guys for listening. No problem at all.